Hi everybody, have you heard about the new Frigid Cosmetic Kit developed by everyone's favorite restorative artist, Amanda King? Of course you have, because it is the newest item sweeping the funeral service nation. But what you may not know is that it is more than just a cosmetic kit. Well, it does of course feature a wide array of vegan foundations in various skin tones, lipstick that is a neutral color for use on decedents who require the most natural of cosmetic looks, and an eyeshadow palette that has white for touching up cosmetic smudges on garments. But wait, there's more. It also has tools for reconstruction, a full complement of brushes, and even a bib and some other tools. This is all wrapped up in a sharp looking vegan leather case with a strap for both your shoulder and the handles of rollaway boxes. If you tell them Ben sent you when you order a complete kit, we'll even throw in one of our hot off the presses frigid embalming machine stress squeezers. Now, not sure if you want the whole thing? That's okay too. All of the individual items are available in the frigid cosmetic store for purchase. Okay, hi everybody. Welcome to the Funeral Cast. So today we have a really good opportunity to take a look at some legislation processes, um, specifically in the introduction of a new type of disposition to many states. Um, and of course, I mean the term natural organic reduction, also known as human composting, also known as terramation, depending on what language you are using when you are referring to this. And so today I am really pleased to have um, Bree Smith, who is the Chief Operating Officer at Return Home Green Funeral Home in Auburn, Washington, and not to mention two-time NFDA Funeral Face-Off Trivia Champion. Yes, sir. And I also have with me, um, Illinois State Representative Kelly Cassidy, who is the main sponsor on the bill for natural organic uh, reduction here in my home state of Illinois. So, ladies, let me say thank you for taking your time, uh, taking time out of your busy schedule to join me um, on the podcast today. Um, so I guess my first question is going to be to Bree. Uh, I guess I'm a little bit spoiled because I regularly connect with funeral directors and I get the opportunity to talk a lot. But recently I saw Representative Cassidy presenting um, to funeral directors here in Illinois, and I was surprised at how many people really didn't know what um, natural organic reduction is and what the process is like. So Bree, can you please give us a brief overview of what the process looks like? Sure. So in general, natural organic reduction is the contained and controlled breakdown of the human body uh, by way of composting. And it is a, a in-vessel system where a mixture of organic materials at return home, we use straw, alfalfa, and sawdust 
are placed in a, an environment optimized for the body to break down just like it would in nature, but uh, controlled and we oversee every step of that process. So basically that's an overview of what the service is. And instead of ashes, families are returned something that is a transfer of vitality from their loved one and they can really see their, their life live on and it's pretty beautiful. Um, okay, so I do have a question about the language, and Representative, you could uh, give us some support here as how it's being talked about in the bill. So people say human composting. Um, I don't know what to think about that particular term. I find it to be a little bit of a shock value, and I personally prefer the term natural organic reduction. Representative, That is that how it's talked about in the bill? It is referred to as natural organic reduction in the bill. Um, the the human composting thing seems to be a bit of a colloquialism that, that we can't shed, um, maybe because natural organic reduction doesn't really roll off the tongue in, in the way that, that uh, it, you know, it, uh, that other, other phrases might. We haven't really found like termination didn't really catch on. Um, you know, and, you know, that said, you know, we have the same situation with alkaline hydrolysis. Um, you know, it, it, that that certainly is is not uh, a, a melodious name either. Um, and so you get aquamation and people say that more um, than terramation. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, um, it's how it was presented to me. This all became this all landed in my wheelhouse because of constituents who heard about other states who were making this an option. Um, and, you know, brought me articles that used the phrase human composting. And so until I really dug into the issue and got to know funeral directors who were working in the space, I didn't even know the term natural organic reduction. Um, okay, so you kind of brought it up already. So what was the catalyst for, for Illinois? Uh, you said that you had some constituents come to you about doing it. And then what happened? Yeah, so I, I tend to, I do a lot of, of constituent outreach I spent a lot of time in my community and and you know very often just invite people like did you did you have a there ought to be a law moment this week come on by and share it with me <laughs> um and it, there there had been some articles um about bills that were passed the bills that were pending and I actually was asked to um do a bill that would would do this as well as and I believe it was Maine that had a bill I don't think they passed it allowing Viking funerals too right um and uh, so, you know, we took a, we, we're, we tend to be a more incremental state. So I went with the, the natural organic reduction component of the program rather than having arguments about flaming barges on the Chicago River. Um, but, you know, my constituents want what they want. Yeah, the, the Viking funeral thing, you know, generally speaking, people don't recognize that cremation is a very high temperature and that setting, you know, doing the whole Darth Vader thing doesn't exactly get the uh, right amount of heat. And then you end up with people washing ashore partially yeah. burned. Yeah, so, it seems not great. Yeah, it's it's not. And so smart move on your I've part. been asked about sky funerals as well. So oh, we're, we're, you know, sure. we don't have any mountaintops here. So I think it's a little harder to, to pull that <laughs> off here as well. Plus, you know, we do have a lot of seagulls around. So we do. We do. I just can't even. I No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> Bree your face. <laughs> um, okay. So um, so yeah, we're we're sticking with the controlled, licensed, regulated methods. That is the game plan. Probably the best thing, right? Because one of the concerns, it seems, is that that there's going to be 
hazardous waste left over, right? Yeah. So Brie, maybe you can tell us, you know, what the the actual leftover, um, uh, I believe on your website, you, you all use the term soil, right? Is that kind of a fair uh, description of what it is? So how do you handle soil that can knowingly contains a human as opposed to regular soil? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So um, we use the term soil, it's really a soil amendment. So it is compost, it's very um, high in uh, what the we would consider nutrition for the soil, right? Um, so what we know is that in Washington State, we're under pretty rigorous testing, actually, of the soil itself. Um, we send it to a third party testing facility where they test for cadmium and arsenic and salmonella and fecal coliform and all of these things that can impact um, the surroundings and the water runoff. And we take those things really seriously. Um, we also, you know, we know that it's packed with magnesium and phosphates and carbon and everything that the soil loves because we, we see that as well. So it's been really cool to get to see the results of the testing and every natural organic reduction facility is under the same scope, right? So we all have to get the same number of cases tested and we all have to pass them. So it's, it's, I feel like a really solid system set up to make sure that what we're returning is safe to use. And it is considered human remains by law. So we handle them gently and with care, like human remains, you know, alongside of the testing, we know that where we're placing the compost has a direct result of incredible growth. And it really is amazing to see where the property that we take people and we have to have a final disposition permit so everybody who goes to the woodland is logged um, and every facility has to do that as well so we go to this woodland and we place people's loved ones remains in fact my aunt is going there soon um, and it's a natural environment. It's a green belt that can never be developed. And so it's really benefiting not just our space, but the surrounding spaces because there's new fauna and flora and and it's enriching the soil and it's visible and you can see it. And that's been, um, we have a PhD soil scientist on staff who helps us make sure that we can regulate these things. And um, he's been a wealth of information, but what I've learned the most is that the soil health of our planet depletes very quickly and, and we need to do something about it. And I feel like by doing this, um, at the very least, I'm doing my part uh, in a more impactful way, the more it grows. It's like the, the more it grows, the better you feel about the impact that you're making. Um, lastly, we have to turn away cases that have prion related illnesses. So that's also something to keep in mind. Um, we would suggest cremation for that family because we do have limitations as far as um, protein based pathogens and, and things of that nature. So um, radiation is not a problem. Uh, we just wait for half lives the same as you would with cremation. Um, same with any kind of chemo treatment. Those things are made inert because you have to have the vessel at at least 131 degrees for no less than 72 hours. That's the law and that makes pathogens inert inside of the compost. That's interesting. How many people, so um, 
You know, prion diseases for people who don't know, uh, commonly known as mad cow disease might be one, Creutzfeldt-Jakob's disease, CJD. This is something that in funeral industry is still kind of a hot button issue. Have you actually had to turn anybody away or is that just policy? Um, it's policy, yeah, but at least those cases don't pop up all that often, so they are a rarity, um, but, you know, we do, as a funeral professional, we receive information from the hospital, if we received information that that was the case, you know, we just, we do have that limitation, so. All right. I hope that kind of stuff answers the question for you, Representative, because I'm sure that people are interested in that. Um, also, um, you know, going back to your woodland, right, your area where you actually take the um, the the reduced remains out there. Um, you know, you sent me an article, I'm going to make this available to people by a man named Webster. And one of the things that he mentioned in there is that we have to be careful where we're dumping this stuff, not because of the danger, but because plants are finicky and we don't necessarily think that I am a terrible gardener right like look at me this is my contribution to green this is a lego <laughs> cacti right like this is the best thing i could grow and so um my point is is those of us who lack a green thumb might think oh you know we can just take this really rich um soil um, or compost and just put it anywhere in fact arizona has this new law and they're calling it the grandpa in the garden law so would you um, commentary on that? I'm interested to hear what people have actually thought about this a little bit more than me. What's yeah, I just I get excited because to me, what it says is, is that the conversations happening of where and that means that cemeteries are going to begin looking into sustainable areas of development. And to me, I think that's a really nice way to merge the two. Um, I am a traditional funeral industry professional. I worked for a cemetery for um, almost eight years and I loved working for the cemetery. Um, and there's a lot of space for this type of service to find its way into developed properties and developed spaces. Um, there's a couple of companies in our region right now, uh, for instance, the uh, Chinook River and the salmon runoff. Uh, that is a huge deal in the Pacific Northwest. And, and one of the, the providers just, I think it was yesterday posted that they have now developed a property along that river. Um, there's others that go to national forests. There's the Olympic National Forest involved yes, somehow. Heard about that, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I, I can't speak return home. We purchased a property because we wanted to make sure that it could be kind of overseen and, and maintained by us so that we know what's happening. Um, but ultimately, I think that no matter where you're going, um, you're going to see the benefit of what you would if you just put some beautiful, amazing leaf mulch down or something to that effect. It's it's it really is like when the leaves fall off the trees and they break down. That's what's happening to the human body. It's the same process. It's as old as time. And and so to be able to give back in that way, knowing that maybe several even thousands of years ago we had practices in different pockets of the world but if you died sometimes you just died and you went right back and that really there's a connection there too i can't speak to what it doesn't do or what it might do that's hazardous in that area because all i've seen is beautiful growth come from it 
the, the plants behind me don't have human remains, but they have piggy remains. And they, our plants are crazy around this place. They because look great. <laughs> all of them too. Like there's not one that's like, oh, I'm not happy with this. You know, I'm not happy with more nutrition for myself. I don't know. So I don't know what that means, but ultimately I've only seen new growth come really quickly from when it's applied to a place. And, like I've, I've had that I've had that conversation with folks as well is like you know you have to remind them like you're not going to plant your garden in pure mushroom compost either you're going to burn your roots if you do that right so like making folks understand that this is really like soil augment augmentation not soil necessarily right um but also those conversations about what you do and don't do right um, you know, we picked up language from the Colorado bill that was explicit that, you know, it cannot be used in commercial agriculture. Well, I don't think anybody's going to try to use this in commercial agriculture, but if it makes somebody feel better that we said it out loud, I'll put that in the law. That's fine. Um, you know, things like that have, have, have definitely come up. Um, you know, but frankly, if my kids wanted to fertilize the tomatoes with me, I'd be pretty happy about that, right? Like that'd be okay with me if I had an opinion after I was dead, you know? <laughs> like, um, it, but so I understand that, you know, like we also deal, we live in a world where like the, the stigma around talking about death, the shame around talking about death, the you know, unwillingness to discuss what, what's gonna happen after, um, it definitely comes into play when we start to talk about public policy around it. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, that has been fascinating for me to, to see play out for sure. Is there any plan? I thought I remembered you mentioned that there is, that there are some public lands that are on board with potential places to put the, the people after that. Is that, is that correct representative? So I, I think I'm, re I'm reporting exactly what, what Bree was reporting as well. Like I've heard about the forest service situation. I've heard about partnerships with cemeteries where they use it as well. Like sort of the, those are the kind of the three models um, for for operators, right? You either purchase your own land and create a conservation land, a, a memorial garden, whatever you want to call it. You partner with somebody that's already got land and and make that a possibility. Or you know these, and I think that the public lands pieces are newer and less tested, but um, I think it's really creative and thoughtful. Well, you know, I I live in Lake County and we are known for our forest preserves up here. I mean, there are a lot of beautiful ones and there is constantly ecological thing going on here. And right across the street is the Buffalo Grove um, Forest Preserve. I would love to see a spot that is specifically for this Absolutely. Um, right across the street from me to go check it out because it's very lush, you know, and I have to imagine it's surrounded <laughs> areas that are kind of industrial so I have to imagine that, you know, having a little bit of extra soil nutrition in that um, uh, sense would be uh, good. So now let's say that you want your person back. Bree, how much do you get and what are people doing with it? So it varies. You know, each service was based on a set of laws that we had to adhere to, but all of us kind of developed our systems independently. So I can speak for return home when I say that we return about 250 pounds, which if you want to visualize it is about a cubic yard or so. Um, and we return the quantities that the family requests. So everything from my loved one 
hiked the Seuss Creek Trail, which is where our, our woodlands located every day, and I want all of his remains there, to I will take the entirety of my loved one home. And it's like cremated remains where you can divide, of course. Um, if we are returning someone in their entirety to their loved ones, we use burlap because the compost has to continue to breathe. Um, it can't be contained in something like, you know, and we wouldn't want to use plastics and things of that nature. Um, but ultimately, uh, we return about 12, if you've ever seen what coffee bags or maybe even like a potatoes, you know, like they're, they're about maybe 20 pounds a piece, 18 to 20 pounds. And we return around 12 of those. Um, and with that comes, you know, anything that they might want as well. So because it's carbon based, families can also choose from memorialization options that already exist for cremated remains, which is pretty cool. So um, speaking of shipping and cremated remains, that is done through the United States Postal Service legally. How do you ship that much stuff? Is it also through the USPS or do you prefer like, hey, just go to the airport and pick the person up? Like, what is your what is your thing there? So we have, we've served, like, I think we're 25 plus states because they're hearing about this and they don't have it local. So they're sending their loved ones to us, um, which is just such an honor to begin with. Some of them travel, some of them don't. But ultimately, we have a really intricate network of mortuary uh, services who all communicate to send people from one place to another. And every funeral home knows how to do it. So usually the sending funeral home is also receiving the person back. Um, some people, for instance, my aunt decided to, uh, her family had smaller portions. So we did that through USPS. So I did that for them. Whereas for a family who wants the full portion, we send them back just the way they came in an air tray. Yeah, that makes sense. Just treat them like normal people. You know, there's just a little bit more of them. <laughs> yeah, extra. it's still human remains, you know. It is, you know, and that's an important point. I say this a lot out loud is that cremated remains are human remains, right? You know, Bree and I are definitely uh, well aware of all the human remains sitting in people's funeral homes that are have been cremated that are unclaimed, right? So at least in this case, you know, I don't, have you dealt with anybody that has gone like completely unclaimed? This hasn't been in action for so long, right? I feel like if anybody sent it to you, they're going to want something back or a follow-up or something, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's really interesting and it got, it gets you pondering, right? Because um, I used to think with returning people quickly, I was doing a service. But what I've realized is that giving people time, because ultimately this process takes 60 to 90 days where where we're at. And we feel like that's the right amount of time for it to take. Um, ultimately, you give them time to process the person's passing. And upon receiving their remains back there, they're like ready. Like, yeah, I want I want it back now. And I'm, I'm prepared for that moment. Um, sometimes I think about, you know, releasing within a week. And I did that, you know, I've done that with animals and things. And sometimes it feels really fast. And you're like, oh, okay, well, here they are completely ash. And it's just like, whoa, you know, and it goes really fast. So I think in our case, you know, our price point, we're not a low cost option. That's something that, you know, I am not shy about because it's a really detail oriented and high. We're watching you 24 seven constant, you know, so so it's not a low cost option. Um, with that comes the fact that uh, people usually are are not it's not a, a 
second choice or something that they're they're doing as default. They're doing it with intention. And so they're coming to pick their left one up with intention. Yeah, it's not like a last minute thought, right? It's like, oh, like sometimes cremation can be for people. So you said a couple of things um, that I wanted to talk about it. So um, first of all, and I wanted to bring this up because I was surfing around your website, looking at your obituaries, which by the way, people, they look great. I'm going to put the return home link in the show notes so you can go check it out. These are really good looking obituaries. But I noticed that people were from a lot of different places that were not Washington. So a representative, was this kind of out of state commerce a major selling point for you um, in trying to get support for this bill? Um, actually, my motivation is to make sure that folks don't have to jump through those hoops. I want it legal here. I want it legal in as many places as is possible so that folks don't have to, you know, at that time of crisis, figure out how to do this. Um, I, I will say I, you know, I, I had two surgeries last year while this bill was pending and really updated my, my power of attorneys to indicate that if it's not legal by the time I die, I want you to find a way to get me somewhere else. Um, but to, to put into place that, that desire on my part. Um, but you know, the reality is I, I think that most people don't want to have to figure out how to ship their loved one and ship their loved one back. And they want to be able to go to their local funeral home, um, and, and make that connection happen at home, um, and, and not have to have more complications. It, it, dealing with a loved one's death is complicated enough without, you know, figuring out air travel yeah that's for sure especially when the people are coming back as you know bags of compost hypothetically right, right? so i um, was given a great visual for when i first started this of what um the, the what a cubic yard looks like i was told to say it can look visualize a ford f-150 truck bed and that's what we're talking about here <laughs> so that, that's always been a very helpful visual for me Yes, thank you, right? Because like, it is hard. What's a cubic, you know, yard look like? Yeah, I'm not a farmer, so I don't really deal with cubic yards of anything. No, me either. Nothing, actually. I'm thinking like looking at my desk and I'm like, is this a cubic yard? <laughs> like, I don't know. Right. Um, and then the other thing that you mentioned, Brie, was about the cost. Now, again, stalking your website, I saw that you charge about 5K for the basic packages, right? Um, and representative, when I was listening to you speak, some of the muttering in the audience was, that's a higher cost for the family. Now, Bree, you mentioned that it takes a lot of effort to do this. And then also, I would like to just kind of point out, a funeral costs about $5,000, right? right? <laughs> you know, I mean, like that, to me, you said it was higher cost. I think it's pretty reasonable if that's the method of disposition that you would you want to have. Um, and kind of to that point, we have all done it already during the course of our discussion here. Have you two found that there is a constant comparison between this and cremation when people are asking questions about it? I mean, I get asked about all of it, honestly. And, and you know, partially I just run into fear of change, right? So they, they want to understand what's different. Like, you know, the, the various um, funeral directors events I've gone to, they, like, they, they want to know what, what's going to be consistent about their profession. They want to know what's going to change. Um, 
and, and it's been an interesting lens because, you know, I also would think that there, the lens would also be, so this is a good way to bring different customer bases. And this is another service I can provide to my clientele. Um, but instead it's really been more about like, what are you changing about my life? Um, and you know, how is this going to be different than what I'm used to doing? Um, which is normal and real and I get it. Um, but there, there is this like, not a contemplation of, you know, addressing consumer desires. Um, you know, I think that when I, like this came about because, you know, the environmentalists in my community, you know, looked at what's being called green burial and found it lacking. Um, whether you're talking about a green burial in the ground, you're still using up land and, you know, that's fundamental for a lot of folks. Um, you know, as, as the more crowded we get, the less that's the highest and best use of a piece of ground. Um, and then, you know, folks would then get directed to alkaline hydrolysis. And, you know, I just don't want to talk about gallons of lye infused water in our storm systems. Um, you know, that does not give an environmentalist much comfort either. But this does address that. If you've spent your life reducing your carbon footprint, if you've spent your life avoiding plastics, if you've spent your life not eating meat because of the environmental impact, this is going to be really attractive to you. And to your point, $5,000 is not that bad. Yes, everything can go up from there, of course. So, you know, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's within the, the norm of what it's going to cost to, to deal with final disposition. Um, and, and so, you know, as I've talked about it and talked to constituents, that, that's generally been their reaction. Oh, okay. I thought it was going to be like $20,000 or whatever, you know, that, which also goes back to people not really understanding what happens when you die. And, and there's nothing in this legislation that's going to force a funeral home to do this, right? Nope. I mean, not at all. Because that, that's kind of like maybe the way that they're thinking is that under the Federal Trade Commission, we have the law, basically, you know, in a way, they're kind of forced to do cremation, even if they don't want to, right? Because right. hypothetically, it's part of their general prices, even though they could say, no, I don't offer that. Right. Um, it's right. become so ubiquitous and popular as a form of disposition that you're kind of crazy if you don't, right? So, right. Bree, do you see a lot of comparisons between cremation and um, NOR? I do. Actually, I, I consider NOR a, an alternative to cremation and not necessarily burial. In my eyes, if you are a traditionalist and your family does the, um, you know, embalming and full visitation and maybe even a wake and some things tacked on to the end and beginning, you know, you're going to do that service regardless. Right. Um, this really is for people who have been given no other option but to be uh, either, you know, separated by a lot of layers of steel and rebar and concrete, and that doesn't maybe resonate with them, or burned, quite frankly. And, you know, I, I speak from an operator's point of view when I talk about cremation and NOR and the comparisons, um, because I was... I would say I could I could say confidently I was one step away from uh, leaving the funeral industry altogether because of the amount of cremations that I was doing. Um, it was actually it, and that's extreme. Not everybody feels that way. I will say I'm also in the Pacific Northwest and 90% of our cases were cremation and and I really like embalming. I'm an embalmer, so I, I like the science behind restorative art. And, and so for me, I wasn't getting to do it. It was just crematory all day, every day. And so I, it, it's easy for me to talk about 
what makes what we do so much in my opinion better as an operator but there's a time and a place for every single disposition and if if nor doesn't resonate with the um like the green sustainable person that might choose it that that uh legislator cassidy was talking about the people that i talk to choose it because it's passive and it's gentle Mm -hmm. and it's slow moving and it's it's hands off in a way where it doesn't feel like you're doing anything you're just kind of placing somebody in a thing and you're letting them do what they would do and and there's something that's very much what i get as well right like yeah i I don't want to think about what they're going to do to me i don't want to you know i don't want to be under concrete i don't you know any any one of those number of things um it is definitely, it's an attractive option for folks who don't feel like there is one now. I think that's a really good way to put it. Um, at the funeral director meetings, they the discussion was sort of about, the, coming from crematory owners, was that somehow NOR was going to outpace cremation. And I was kind of talking to them about like, by the nature of the process, you it really won't, right? Because NOR takes about two months for the process to take place. Whereas you could cremate, you know, multiple people in a day, you know, using the same kind of vessel technology, right? So um, uh, do you have any um, idea in Washington what the market share of NOR facilities are are doing right now? Like on the whole? Yeah, amongst all of you. Yeah, I do have an idea. I, I think it's like maybe 1%. <laughs> You know, (laughs) like it's super, super. well, the thing is, is that it's, it's it's still not known. So that's, that's a big hurdle is that people just don't even know it exists. And so it's not an option that most funeral professionals, I have to say, um, in the Pacific Northwest, we are so blessed with some of the most competent professionals. I mean, they, they all really have taken this and been like, okay, we're going to get educated on it. Um, we do tours at return home, we open up everything so that they can really see every single step so that they can feel better about it. Because there is so much smoke and mirrors, you know, that's part of the reason why return home is what it is, is because we opened our doors and said, see it, we we can show it. And um, so ultimately, you know, but the, the integration into the funeral industry and their ability to to tell people it's an option just doesn't really exist unless they want it. So, you know, that is a big part of it, because when someone passes away, you're not you're not always going on Google and being like, you know, my loved one just died. What do I do? Some people are going to do that, but most people are going to Google funeral home in my area and then they're just going to go to them because like, you know, what they were saying about being able to do and function after the person that you love the most is gone and out of your life forever. And being in a place to facilitate a new disposition option is is not where people are. This is usually something they see, they set up. We've met with a lot of people who are imminent, who come in and tour, and then we end up caring for them within a short amount of time. And we do a lot of pre-need too. Um, I will say, like, I don't know about, you know, the, the community there, but here in Chicago, it's, it's very much like there's your neighborhood or community funeral home, right? Whether it's, you know, a, a, a traditional, like cultural community, or your physical neighborhood, sometimes that's both because of the makeup of our city and, and 
you know, just the way we are sort of factionalized here. But, you know, that's the first thing you think, oh, I'm going to call Leak and Sons or I'm going to call, you know. Yeah, Coonies. Yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, and, you know, in Chicago, we are lucky to have one of the highest densities of funeral homes in the entire United States. So it you, sure seems that way. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, you know, one of the things, like, Representative, you probably haven't sat through as many funeral home marketing presentations as Bree and I have, is, Definitely but not. one of the things <laughs> that they always remind us is that you know, word of the mouth in your town doesn't work the way that it used to. And you have to have an online presence. Yeah. And because what you said, 85% of funeral homes are found based on a Google search, right? Because that's what all three of us on this call would do if we didn't know right. already where to go, right? Right. Um, so, um, um, the other thing, so we're talking about this and we're in Washington and we're in Chicago. Um, so this is a disposition that's just really for hippies, right? Like tree huggers are the ones that are doing this. Is that who counts for the 1% of this? Disposition? I love the question. I really do. Cause <laughs> the thing is, is I live in, you know, I do, I live in pretty much the hippie capital of the U S um, but and my neighborhood uh, is the hippie capital of Chicago. So I get it. There you go. Yeah. You know, we definitely think about these things because we're more exposed to them. Um, but I am from Montana. I was born and raised in a really different environment than where I'm at now. And my whole family thinks that this is really interesting and they vibe with it. And they think it's something that they could see themselves doing and maybe returning to their ranch property. And I would argue that some of them might be the antithesis of a hippie. So I think that's, you know, a misconception, um, maybe one that I had on, you know, early on thinking that it was going to be my Birkenstock Subaru folk that were going to be coming up in here. Um, but in actuality, like I said previously, it, it resonates with different people for different reasons. Um, I'll just point out too, you know, children, uh, specifically parents who lose children. Um, there's something really powerful about that uh, energy transfer and a parent being able to bring that home with them. Um, so, you know, you think that it's going to be this, this specific group. And, and I thought so too, Ben, I really did. I was convinced. <laughs> um, but, you know, I've seen really far of right think that this is amazing and that they want to return to their property that, you know, that they've grown up on and their families owned for, for 150 years. You know what I mean? And, and that to, to just people choosing it again, because it's, it's less maybe invasive than, than what they feel might exist right now. What about you? And to that point, I, I got, I got great bipartisan support for this in the house, including from many, many of the members of, of, they call themselves the freedom caucus um who were honestly they they were motivated to engage when the catholic conference came out so hard against it and questioned the christianity of anyone who would choose this as an option and so like we had you know far right leaning members quoting you know ashes to ashes dust to dust and all of that on the floor and don't tell me how to read my bible right like so you're absolutely right um you know, there, there, there is a point at which, you know, you reach far enough left, you, you make your way all the way around, you reach far enough right, you make your way all the way around. That's, this is one of those issues that resonates in both um, perspectives, for sure. I've had that experience that it's completely bipartisan, truly. Yeah. I love that. That's great because that, you know, that means that, we, you know, we're more likely to see it. So um, Representative Cassie, to that point, on a scale of one to 10, 
one being not likely to happen, 10 likely to happen. What do you think about this bill? Are we going to be able to get it in Illinois? That is my hope. We've gotten it out of the House. It's sitting in the Senate where um, one of the more moderate members of the Democratic caucus referred to it as icky, um, which uh, stopped its movement um, last spring. Um, as we head into this new session, it's very much alive. The sponsor is, you know, working with leadership to, you know, remove any more barriers there might be to, to moving it. And I'm very hopeful. Um, you know, it's a weird session this year being an election year. So does it happen before November? I don't know, but I think it happens this year. Outstanding. So if um, <clears throat> one of the, if the listeners are not federal people and they have an interest in um, supporting this, the best thing they can do is contact who? Contact me, reach out to my office at repcassidy at gmail.com. We'll make sure that they get the information about who they're represented by in the Senate so that they can make their Senator aware of their desire to um, have them vote for this. We're working very closely with the folks at the Illinois Environmental Council as well. So any of the environmental groups under that umbrella are engaged as well. If you're a Sierra Club member or an IEC member or, or any of those others, they're all engaged as well. Um, seemingly anybody that would have kind of just a passing interest in this would see it. There's a lot of like articles about not necessarily Illinois, but we had Nevada just legalize it. As I just mentioned, Arizona's working on it here. We're a pretty big state um, to do that. So I and New York just did it. So, you know, we're kind of raising um, awareness. Are we sixth or seventh at this point? Like I, uh, I've lost track of eight. how many states are doing it. Eight. Yeah, we, eight we would be the we if we pass this year, we would be the eighth. And well, Arizona and Utah also have bills in in motion right now. Yeah. So, got let's it. go, Representative. We got to get Illinois the you know <laughs> up there in the top ten. You know exactly. I, I I like a good competition. Yeah. Right. We got to be competitive in something because it does seem like we do lack for green burial options um, in the state in general. I know that there is a certified green cemetery out yeah. west near Freeport, and I know that one just got um, uh, christened green enough in Vernon Hills, which isn't too far away from here. So, um, you know, you would think with a lot of a lot of a state with a lot of land that, you know, we are, you know, I think with all the farm people and stuff that we are conscious about um, how that's land use. Yeah, yeah, that, sure. That we would have uh, a few more opportunities um, around to do that and getting the word out. I, you know, when I was actively working at the funeral home, um, I remember a, a phone call came in and um, our secretary answered and, sh and she said, hold on one second. And she said, Ben, do we know any funeral homes that do green burials? And I'm like, yeah, we do. Right. You know, it's just just because they don't come across our desk very often doesn't mean that we wouldn't find a way to do that. So, yeah, um, I think, you know, a good sort of aspect of having this discussion with the two of you is to remind us that we are able to do this. We just have to Google green burial ourselves, maybe, and and then and then handle it. So, um before I let you two go, I did have a couple of questions come in from the uh, from a, a couple of posts that I made about it. So the first one is for um, for you, Bree. How do you incorporate ceremony into um, your process? I mean, that's been part of the point of my existence from the beginning, right, was to help understand and establish ritual um, it was really different at first to kind of feel what it was going to be, but really we've gone, 
I guess what I would consider very traditional with it. You know, we have a space that is dedicated to services. It's actually new. It's gorgeous. Um, there's a big mural on the wall with foggy trees and it's very evergreen state and amazing. And, you know, people uh, come see their loved ones in their vessel. Um, a lot of our ritual has to do with ceremonial uh, like layings in of items, I would say. But, you know, we've we've helped families from the most traditional. I mean, I dare I say Catholic question mark, you know, um, have we um, and then, you know, really conservative groups at, all the way to people who are lighting sage and having their, you know, the kind of uh, crystal and seance moment. So, you know, there's there's different groups of people who practice different rituals and rites and religions and and r things that aren't religious that just feel right. And um, but what we've seen it mostly surround is uh, whether we do kind of a traditional service or the family just comes to say goodbye. About 70 percent of our families have that final moment with their loved one. Um, that is staggering as opposed to where I was previously. We did not do a lot of uh, ID views and or visitations, especially visitations, way more IDs, quite frankly. Um, these moments where the family can gather around and say a final goodbye and the grieving process moves differently when your family comes in. And I mean, Ben, you know that, you know that families grieve differently when they get to spend time and actually kind of process everything. Uh, so we give them that opportunity and they can bring in all the food and anything organic and biodegradable. They can put it all in that vessel. We had a young man here yesterday just adorned with the most beautiful flowers. And, you know, we do services uh, very regularly because people still need that ritual. And it's the same reason I get excited about uh, cemeteries getting involved is because I also believe in memorialization and I believe in a, a place to, to mourn and to recall. And, and so, so for me, it's been really cool to take what I know, which is super traditional and apply it to the new disposition that we can still make familiar enough that it just doesn't feel that far off from what you might be used to. Well, you know, maybe psychologically, too, you know that this is going to take time. So why not take a couple more hours to actually do it as opposed to cremation? It's over in like an hour, right? And um, that kind of thing. So the laying in of items, you talked about organic items. I think we would be remiss if we didn't clarify about inorganic items, such as pacemakers and knee replacements. And I mean, by the time you know, some of the listeners, uh, you know, we're going to be half robots here soon. So what happens to all those robot parts uh, <laughs> during the process? And uh, when are they removed? Yeah, so it's similar to cremation in the way that once the body has completely transformed, again, this is going to be within the 30 to 60 day range. Um, people have become one with the organics around them and all that remains is their skeleton and then anything inorganic that might be in them. And Ben, what's fun about what we do is that um, people tell you about the metal things inside, but they don't necessarily tell you about the squishy things they put inside of them. Um, so, you know, where a, a breast implant might not survive a cremation, it's going to survive what we're doing and it's gonna come out the other side. So um, what we've done is we've taken exactly what happens after cremation where people are essentially screened for the inorganics and we've just made it bigger because what we're doing in scale is a lot larger um, it's a really simple it's a conveyor system where the vessel is up 
ended, we're slowly sweeping contents onto a conveyor where then they go to kind of a sifter. Um, the bone is intact and remains. And so the bone and the compost go through a proprietary mechanism that make them uniform. Another state law is that we cannot have identifiable bone. That's for cremation as well. Cremation, natural organic reduction, alkaline hydrolysis, right? Definitely. So ultimately um, what we're doing is, is the small bits are falling, the big bits are staying above, we're pulling out the big bits and everything else is going through that, that uh mechanism that breaks them down and what happens after that is the bones bones become porous and then the compost is free of anything inorganic so what happens is they go into a different vessel it's a cube um it's very simple they just sit for 30 days and we rotate every once in a while and what happens is is the remains start to lessen in temperature because the temperatures you know real high during the process when we break down that bone those microbes spike back up but then ultimately the temperature will come down and that's the last 30 days of the process we're releasing moisture we're releasing carbon and we're kind of getting the the compost ready into a place where it's going to be able to be placed in burlap and then returned home so really you don't have to remove any pacemakers any of that stuff that we may be beholden to doing before a cremation for example because a pacemaker won't explode at the temperatures of accelerated decomposition right so yeah um, you'll appreciate this ben actually that we have it on our authorization that we'll remove it and and we can you know ultimately if sure. the family wants we'll we offer to recycle them to um pet you know and like veterinary uh services and things like that so we can do it but um but we don't even really need it on the authorization because we thought at first we would and then it turns out really just the vessel might be Kind of, yeah, just kind of doing that. Okay. And so my other technical question for you about this that some funeral directors did ask me, it seems counterintuitive, but can you do this with an embalmed body? No, not right now. So um, again, the antithesis of, right, we're, we're meaning for a very quick and optimized breakdown, whereas embalming is meaning to preserve and, and opposite, disinfect. Right. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah, you need those microbes to work for you, right? And you need the proteins and stuff to break down as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. So an embalmed body doesn't make a lot of sense. But that doesn't mean nobody has anybody even tried it yet. I'm just interested because I mean, maybe that's You're talking to the do. scientist in the group, Ben. Um, I just want to know, right? Yeah. We have not yet, but we are uh, planning at some point when things can kind of settle in for us. We're just going so hard all the time, but uh, maybe trying some of the green, the glutaraldehyde products mm -hmm. on a pig. Yeah, and just mm -hmm. see how it works out. Yeah, I want to come out there and I want to help you with that. Um, <laughs> Please, yeah, all the yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe that could be funded somehow. All right, so representative <laughs> for you, um, the recently in the news, there was a couple of pretty bad incidents um, about bodies being neglected. I'm not gonna go into that too much further here because that's, I don't, those people can deal with that stuff, um, but it's a concern. So outside of a regular funeral home as bad actors, right? Because I don't think we should pin any specific funeral philosophy on this. Um, is there anything in the legislation that talks about, you know, say your vessels are full, 
how long can you hold a body? What is the process? Um, things like that. And Bree, maybe you could chime in what return homes process is if you've even come into that problem yet. So representative. So what we have done is is to the extent possible, um, made sure that, that we're just in alignment with the level of regulation, the same kinds of regulation that are placed on the other methods, the same levels of professional requirements um, are in place for this. We have not gotten specific as to numbers of vessels and things like that, largely because that's really a, a, a job for the administrative rulemaking process where, you know, as technology changes, um, you know, it's easier to, to make those, those administrative changes. We're not talking about statutory changes at that point. Um, but, you know, putting in, putting those specifics, those kinds of days and, and numbers are never, are not usually put in statute. They are for, for administrative rulemaking. So once the, the method, because, well, okay. And so that kind of brings up the next question. So say tomorrow that everybody's like, yes, unanimous vote. This sounds awesome. We're going to do it. It's not like you can start doing it right away, right? Because like you said, we now have to look at the way that it's regulated. So things like if there's going to be a checkbox on the death certificate, if there's a specific burial permit or a disposition permit for it, like that stuff all comes later. So Brie, yeah. what is return homes process? Have you come to the point where you're like, oh boy, we're full up. What do you have a plan in place for that? Or, I mean, you're pretty popular, it sounds like. So, <laughs> well, we built to scale. So, um, fortunately, um, we saw kind of what was happening with um, groups that had already kind of begun offering the service. And what we knew is that people were going to be interested. And so, uh, we made the very uh, pointed choice to have 74 vessels which puts us as a very high volume funeral home if we're using one vessel every even, you know, 30 to, usually it's around 45 days on average. Um, but that's still very high volume. And I knew that we would not get that high volume right away. And we have not had, an, you know, 74 vessels full at any point. So um, we've gotten to about half of that actually at one point, at any given point. Uh, which is pretty amazing to see that the walls are kind of filling up and and it's a thought, but our goal was to not have people wait. We did not want people in refrigeration uh, for extended periods of time and we wanted to be able to accommodate. And I think as we scale, we intend to, to do the same, to really um, stock up, if you will, on the vessels so that we can uh, just not have people have to sit in refrigeration for any extended periods of time that are unnecessary, really. So representative and that scalability is one of the things that we've talked about a lot with the, with the funeral directors as well, right? Like, you know, when you talk about the cost, you know, when once this is to scale, not just in one state or eight states, but most of them, I think you'll see some normalization of costs as well. Um, but but we have had those questions about storage and scaling, and and that's real. Um, but I I think that you know when you've got operators that are choosing to be visionary that's that's going to make it a world of difference. Uh, right. That partially answers my follow-up question for you, Representative, is that this bill does allow for funeral homes essentially to add this as a service on their property, yeah. right? So kind of the message here is, is that three vessels may not like hit your mark if you are planning on doing this, especially if, you know, you happen to be one in your area that does it and your friends call you, hey, we have somebody who's interested right. in doing this. So, um, 
something you may want to consider before you enter in the market on this is that you are going to need a lot more maybe than you think, right? So, right. Like, you know, I visited an, an alkaline hydrolysis facility and, you know, he's got one vessel, right? That's not how this is going to be. This is, you know, he like tricked out the garage of his funeral home to add this service. That's not how we're going to be able to, like, that's not how this is going to work because you really, it's not scalable if you can only do one at a time. Um, whereas with, with, you know, the alkaline process, it's not as long. You're not, you know, the, the vessel is not out of service for months at a time. Um, but having that capacity to scale is going to be important. Yeah. It'll be interesting to watch how businesses evolve along with this, right? If they say, oh yeah, we're just going to install a wall for six people. Right. And then pretty soon like, okay, now what do we do? Because here's number seven and the other person's not due to leave for another two weeks, you know? So right. It'll be interesting. And then um, one of the other things that um, I wanted to, so when I was listening to you speak and listening to the funeral directors talk alongside me, you know, they kind of like made you a target as in like, where are you going to put these places and blah, 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 and that kind of thing. So Representative Cassidy, if I'm not mistaken, you really don't have a dog in this hunt other than to serve your constituents, right? So Exactly. So you like... That's your goal is not, you know, you want to see this is a capitalist bill. <laughs> it really is, right? Like at the end of the day, yeah, it's a great environmental bill, but this is a business opportunity. Yes, I think that's something that um we're kind of missing out on. And you know, at least in Illinois, my hope is is that we have the foresight because I feel like many of the conservative states that surround us will say, oh no this is for hippies only we're not interested in doing anything other than embalming and burying the person you know or and then while well, we have to accept cremation so yeah we would you know a place potentially on the border of indiana or on the yeah. border of iowa or kentucky or missouri may very well get a lot of business from the nearby states there right um i mean illinois is getting used to that so we might as well just add this as well that's true, I guess, right? Um, so uh, before we go, Representative, do you have any questions for uh, Bree? Um, I don't, other than, you know, asking you if you're prepared to testify when the Senate runs the bill in the committee, because you've done a great <laughs> job of explaining this. I would love to have you as our witness. Please, I'm so happy to be a resource to you, especially as time goes on. And um, I do, I know the bill pretty well at this point. I've read through everything in Washington many times, and then I do keep up with um, the various nuances of each state as well as I can. So I'm really happy to jump great. in. That's great. I appreciate it. Excellent. The funeral cast did its job. It made some friends. Thanks, Ben. <laughs> right? Thanks, is, Ben. That is always the goal. So I don't have anything else for you two, if you have anything else for me. Nope. Okay. So if anybody has any follow-up questions that I can pass along to um, the representative and to uh, Bree, uh, you can email me at bschmidt at frigidfluid.com and I will be happy to um, have any follow-up. And I hope that once this bill is done, that representative will come back and update us. Absolutely. I'd be delighted to. All right. And I was just going to throw out, Ben, I did forget something. We um, we keep track. You said you were going to tag our return home page uh, obits. Yeah. Um, we also keep track of the state updates. So if at any point people want an update, they can go to returnhome.com. And we have a legislation page that's really dedicated right. to all of the things that happen and where the bills are. Um, so we keep pretty close track of that. And uh, you can share that as well or just throwing it out there for those who are interested. 
Actually, yeah, you know, awesome. like I said, I was looking through your website. There's a bunch of blog posts about uh, natural organic production and uh, green burials. So this is a, it's not just a funeral home website. It's also a very good resource in general. So if you are listening to this and you're like, well, I don't really want to hear from that Ben guy anymore on this, then um, you can just go to the return home website and they will um, answer a lot of your questions. And of course, you know, Bree. I'm excited to check that out. Yeah, Ooh, it's good, a good yeah. website and it looks great too, right? Thank you. It's it's very visually appealing. So whoever is behind your website, is that you, Bree? Yeah. Uh it's Tolly. Tolly Moore. Yep, he's the man, but he's uh good. we collab all the time, just always trying to make it better and put more on it. And we do have a resource center that doesn't even have anything to do with return home where we just try to help. So yeah. Yeah. And as an educator, you know, people ask me all the time about this stuff. Now I know that there is a place that's like, okay, there, there are some things. And like you said, you, you sent me that um, uh, study and stuff. So I'll be um, happy to share that with people too. So anyway, again, thank you both for coming. I think this was productive and um, I hope that people understand um, NOR a little bit better. I certainly do. Thanks so much. Okay, bye-bye. Would you like to share your thoughts on any of the topics we discussed today? We'd love to hear them. Email your thoughts to bschmidt, that's B-S-C-H-M-I-D-T, at frigidfluid.com, and I'll read them on the show.